Well, thank you, Luke. I'm so thankful that you're joining us today. And, uh, you know, before we jump into 2 Samuel 15, is where we are today. So I hope you have your Bibles and uh, you're ready to engage today. But I do want to, like, even though Chad mentioned it, June 7th, next week, we're coming back together. And so I really hope you join us. Um, there's a website, fbcowasso.org forward slash June 7th. And on that website, there's a lot of details that, that um, you can find that gives you information about our rollback in to meeting together. And so please check that out. Uh, there's a lot of information about uh, all of our processes. Um, we really need you to register, though. If you're going to come on June 7th, either at the Owasso campus or at Calvary, we're doing one service at each location. And so I do want you to register, and we need you to. And so if you could do that for us, that'd be great. And also, I, I want you to notice I sent a video out uh, this week that is, um, there, there's another website. I know we're, this is just the crazy day of website communication. So, but you can go to fbcowasso.org forward slash vote. Um, I, I sent a video about, about our, our next steps as a church. And, and you know what? When I think about how we have been praying as a church for God to help us see the platform that he's given us, and it's clear in my heart from day one of moving to Owasso uh, that, that God has given our church, I believe, a responsibility to expand into uh, a platform of Spanish. And, and, and it's my prayer that Misael Gonzalez uh, will come on staff at our church, and, and we are going to begin preparing uh, for a Spanish-speaking service. And uh, that information is on that fbcawasa.org forward slash vote. And there's a video about, and you'll get to meet Misael. And, and if you are a member of our church, I hope that that is something you check out. Um, I am so excited about how God, of the many ways that God is at work in our church. And, and so we want you to know about that. But, I, but you know, as we start today, um, I really think that we need to pray. We need to start with prayer for our country. You know, it, it, as I have watched um, situations unfold over the last, really, several years, it's evident in my heart that in what I see, that racism is a, is a continual, continuous stronghold in our country. And you know, right before our eyes, we're seeing the results of racism. And so can I ask us, as a church family, as a church body, let's today go to the Lord and ask Him to expose, even in our own hearts, the racism that exists in our hearts? Because it's easy to look at what's transpiring in our nation and, and put blame on whatever. But the reality is, where does, where does the healing come from? It begins in our hearts as believers, as followers of Christ who, who need to be repentant. And let me, let me tell you something. When I pray for our church and our, our responsibility, we've got to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And, and, and for us to be part of the solution, where does it begin? It begins with us recognizing the sin in our own heart, especially this sin of racism. And so here's what I want to ask us to do. Would you ask the Lord 
to reveal any racism that's in your heart and my heart. And let's, let's, let's root it out. And let's ask God to bring it to the surface. And so I want us to begin this message in, in particular, in this moment, with a heart of repentance. And so would you pray with me? And would you ask the Lord to open your eyes to even racism in your own heart? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, Father, we, we, we need to start today, this time in your word, asking you to open our eyes as a church family to the racism that might exist that maybe we can't even identify. Father, we recognize that we are called to be your ambassadors to this world. And Father, we must be a people that are repentant. And I pray, Father, you would, you would reveal any racism that exists in our hearts. And would you help us be a church that moves forward as part of a solution, not part of the problem. Father, heal our nation. Lord, help us right now. We need you, Jesus. And I pray that our body, those that are joining with me right now in prayer, that, Lord, we would see people like you see them. We would not see color of skin or economic background, but we would see people that are loved by you and, Lord, root out racism in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this morning, um, we're, we're in the depths of 2 Samuel. And, and you know, um, if, you, if you're just joining us today and you've not been with us over the last, um, really, this entire year, we, we, we've been in 2 Samuel for a long time, and, or excuse me, in the book of Samuel for a long time. We went through 1 Samuel, now we're in, in 2 Samuel. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting as, as we've processed this book, and it's important, I've said this multiple times through this book, that, that it's best to interpret the book of Samuel not as a me, but as a we. Because really, this is a message to the people of God. And when I think about this book, um, it's interesting because uh, uh, it's, it's historical narrative. Now, now basically, that means that, that these are stories that took place in history. And it's, and it's important to consider uh, this, this book and, and actually why God put this in print for the ages. Uh, because it's interesting because it's almost like when you read this book, it's like God is, is exposing all of our dirty laundry. I mean, that's what the book of 2 Samuel is. The book of Samuel is, it's, it's, it, it forces us to come face to face with the consequences of the sin, not of a lost world that is in rebellion against God, not of um, pagan people that don't know better. But, but this is the consequences of sin of the people of God. And this is really important for us to recognize. Um, and, 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 and because because it, the people of God should know better, right? I mean, when you think about the people of God, who are we? 
We are people that understand the mercy of God. We, we are people that, that have been given the blessing of a relationship with God. We, we've, we know the, the mercy of God. The, 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 we've, we've experienced the Lord strengthening us. We've, we've been in tight situations, moments of, of difficulty, and God has rescued us. We have, we have been shown unmerited favor, uh, grace and mercy that this, we, we've, we've experienced the Lord speak to our hearts and move in our lives, lift our heads. This is who we are as the people of God. And all through history, the people of God have, have been rescued by the hand of God. And in spite of all those experiences, in spite of all those moments, sin has, has constantly remained attractive to the people of God. And, and this is the, the, the beauty of, of this scripture. And, and, and you know, there are, there, are, there are a lot of preachers, and I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of preachers that, that in nowadays that, that look at the consequences of sin. And they say, oh, you know what? That's an Old Testament story. We're in a day of grace. We're in a day of, that's Old Testament. The New Testament is a story of grace. Let me tell you something. The entire Bible is a story of grace. The entire Bible is a, is a blessing to us. And, and we've got to remember in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Paul writes that, that, look, we should look at these Old Testament stories because they serve as warnings to us to protect us, to guide us. And, and, and this helps us honor the Lord in our everyday lives. And, and what I've seen over and over again in, in my generation is, is the people of God who know better still choose to live in rebellion against God. And so what I want us to, 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 to understand today, 2 Samuel 15 is, is, is one of the clearest pictures in the Bible that, that, that sin, it, it must always be taken seriously. And, and, and sin remains this, this mortal enemy of a believer, of, of, a, of the people of God. And, and our tendency to flirt with sin, and, and even though we know better, we have a tendency to, to slip into rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. And, and as I wrestled through this passage, as I wrestled through this time, I, I'll, I'll tell you, this is the time for us to, to walk with God. It's time for us to come back to the Lord as, as the people of God. That's the beauty of, of this difficult moment we're facing with a, a pandemic or with, with social upheaval. This is a, for a believer, we remember, we recognize, God, we need you. We need you desperately today. And so the book of, 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 of Samuel, 2 Samuel 15 it, it, it exposes some things for us. Like, like Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. And this is a New Testament truth that is clearly depicted in 2 Samuel 15. And, and what, I, what I don't, I don't want us to miss it. Now, if you're taking notes, point number one is very important for us, and it's this, that sin out of control eventually takes control. And this is something we need to understand. And, and in 2 Samuel 15, we see sin out of control completely taking control. 
Now, now we know what's gone on, and we've studied this a little bit, because Nathan had spoken to David after his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 12. And, and he said, David, look, God will forgive you. But let me tell you, the results of this is, is that there will be turmoil in your family. There will be, uh, th- this, there will be a pain in your household. And so what's happening is, is the consequences of sin unfold. And, and you know what? This is true for us today. Let me tell you something. Husband, if you look at your wife, and even though you know the Lord and you've been forgiven, and you look at your wife and say, you know what? I'm tired of her. I'm going to go marry somebody else. I'm going to divorce her. Or, or if you, as, as, a, as a man, look into, uh, I'm going to get involved in pornography. If, if you are... Um, um, a wife, and, and you're, you're, I'm going to get rid of my husband, I'm going to trade up. Or there's all kinds of, of traps that lay in front of us. A college student to say, you know what, I'm going to rebel against the Lord, I'm going to go my own way. Regardless of the, the temptation that is before us, let me tell you, sin out of control will eventually take control of you. And we see this in David's life. We see this in Absalom. And like last week, Chad walked through uh, Tamar and, and this, this devastating moment of Absalom killing his brother. And in David's household, the consequences of sin are almost too much to bear. But he's facing them. But Absalom as well is, is struggling. Absalom is, is, here is David. He's a silent father. But, but Absalom's his sin is out of control. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. And, and, and you can see this. You can feel this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. Look at that. Absalom is like, I'm going to get chariots and 50 men are going to run before me. I mean, his, his arrogance, his, his, uh, his, his obsession with power, his His uh, ambition is out of control here. Verse 2, And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, Hey, from what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. And Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of men, the men of Israel. And you see this, this Absalom's ambition is out of control completely. And he's, he's really looking at, at the landscape of Israel, and he's like, you know what? I don't like my father. I need to be king. I want to be king. So Absalom starts this plan to steal the kingdom from his, from his father. Here's the problem. God designated David to be the king. God declared that David's kingdom would never end. And so here's Absalom, and he's, you see this mistake, this, this, this warning in his life that, that we're to throw off sin, that, that, that we're, to, we're, to, we're to reject sin, and this is who we are as the people of God, that, that we are to be people that, that follow the Lord, not ourselves. 
We're, we're to be people that, that give honor to the Lord and make his name famous, not make our own name famous. And this is where Absalom is. And it reminds me of, of this incredible verse in Hebrews 12.1. You know that verse, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, Absalom had a race to run and it wasn't to be the king. David, that was David's race to run. And I think about the, the call that we have as a people of God to run the race marked out for us, to, to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do. And, 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 but so often, the sin that so easily entangles us, like Absalom, in Absalom, what do you see? There's this progression of anger. He's mad at his dad. And I, I get it. His dad is absent. Like what's interesting about David, the, this, this thing went on for four years, and David is absent. He's not dealing with it. So in spite of his going to the Lord and, and getting right with the Lord, he continues to be an absent father. We don't even know where he is. He's blind to it. Maybe he's thinking, oh, Absalom, I'm just going to think the best. Maybe he feels guilty. I don't know. But in Absalom, there's this progression of anger. He gets more and more angry, and that's, that's devastating. In Absalom, there's a progression of selfish ambition. You see this. Look at verse 7. It says this. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. And the king said to him, go in peace. And so he arose and went to Hebron. You, you know, what's interesting, look what he does. He says, dad, I got to go worship. You see the deception here, the, the false spirituality here in, in Absalom. He goes in verse 10, but, but instead he, he sent, but Absalom sent secret, secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say Absalom is, is king in Hebron. And, and, and so Absalom has this plot to go, go steal the kingdom. His ambition's out of control. His, his anger's out of control. And in and, and verse 11, when Absalom went, went, went with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence, and they knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gibbonite, David's count, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city in Gilo, and, and the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And here's what you see in Absalom. There's this clear rebellion against God's clear will. And this is the, the devastation of Absalom. You see, David was called to be king. And Absalom didn't want anything of it. He was angry in his sin, his, his pride, and his, I want to have 50 men go in front of me, and I'm a very important person, and, and, and his sin is out of control. And, and folks, rebellion always destroys us. And, and we can't miss this. You know, when, when I think about Absalom, he just missed the, the reality of his life. He missed the, 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 the Roman 7 reality. The fact that, that, you remember what Paul wrote in Romans 7? I mean, we see in Romans 7, this, this point too is this, that the first step to real healing, healing is the recognition that I'm out of control. I mean, this is what, 
what, where, where Absalom is. He's out of control and he won't admit it. And when you think about the, the, the real step to healing in your life and my life is to recognize, God, we need to be in the middle of your will, not our own will. How do we want to go our own way and be in, our, uh, be in charge of our own lives? But, but let me tell you something. Life begins for you when you say, Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are going to direct my life. You are my Savior. You're my Lord. You will guide me. Your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Absalom was like, no, I'm going my own way. He's out of control. And with this sin in his life, he was like, you know what? This isn't that bad. And how often do we think that too? We think, you know, my own sin is not that bad. You know, I can handle this. We, we, these problems that I'm facing, it's not that big a deal. Do you know what I call that? And you may be sitting here, and, and as we talked about racism, you're like, I don't have that. I'm, i got a handle on that. Or, or you may talk, well, you know, I can mouth off to my kids. I can be cruel to them. Or, or I, can be, I can mistreat my wife. I can handle this. We can handle this. We, we have this idea that sin, I can handle it. Let me tell you something. None of us can handle sin. You know what we call that? It's called denial. That, that we are denying the fact that, that we got this. It's like my pastor had a childhood friend who had this dog, and, and his dog was, he had lost a leg. He was blind in one eye. He's got his, his left ear chewed off and his tail chewed off in a fight. And you know what the dog's name was? Lucky. Yeah, I'd call that denial, right? I mean, I mean this is not a good lucky dog. But, but, but when, I, when I think about what's going on in Absalom's life, what's he trying to do? He's trying to control his image here. And so how often do we do that when it comes to our, our image? Like we want to control our image. We play games. We wear masks. We pretend. Uh, we fake it. And that's what Absalom's doing. He's faking it. Um, we want people to just see our best face. And, and this is why I pray we recognize that. And, and if you're visiting today online, look, we are not a church of perfect people. We are a people that God is putting us back together. And so, look, um, we, we want to live in hiddenness. Denial tries to control our image. Denial tries to control our pain sometimes. That in our pain, we, uh, uh, you know, we try to avoid our, our sin or, or, or deny our pain. We escape it. We postpone it. That's why so many people in our culture are, are, are overweight and, and, they're, and they're on drugs because we're trying to numb our pain, numb our lives, and, and avoid our, our pain. I see people get involved in relationships thinking, that's going to somehow help me. But look, you know, I'm thankful for how God uses some, some denial busters in our life, in our lives. You know, these denial busters, sometimes God brings a crisis in our life to help us deny, uh, recognize our need of Christ. And that's why, what I'm, why I'm grateful for this pandemic. I'm grateful for it. Because in many ways, it, it causes us to recognize, Lord, we need you. You know, the crisis sometimes brings uh, it wakes us up from denial. Another thing that happened, God uses confrontation sometimes. Like, like for David, Nathan confronted him. And, and there have been times in my life people have confronted me and it's gotten me to wake up to the sin in my life. You know, sometimes cata cat catastrophe happens. And that, those are, I found in my life, catastrophe. It brings me to the feet of Jesus. It doesn't push me away. Because it reminds me that I need Jesus. And I'll tell you, 
I mean, I think about, I think C.S. Lewis said this, that, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And, and you know, here's the, the reality. Pain is often God's megaphone for us. And in Absalom, you see this young man who's, who's in pain, and here's what's happening. God is, is, is moving in his life, but he's pushing him away. And it's this whole idea of a Romans 7 reality. I want you to turn over to Romans 7. I want you to look at this. And Paul writes in Romans 7, and it's a beautiful picture when he, when, when he recognizes, look, we often get confused about our lives. And, and, and this is important to understand. I, I get confused sometimes. What does Paul say? Romans 7, 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Romans 7, 19, for I, do, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You know, Paul's like, look, I don't understand. I keep struggling. And I don't know if you felt that way. It's like Peter. Peter's a great example. Remember when he was uh, out in the boat and Jesus comes and says, hey, Peter, get out in the water. And Peter gets out of the boat. And what does he do? He immediately sinks. You know, he doubts. He, he, he doubts the Lord. And, and he goes in his own power and he sinks. Remember when he, Jesus was arrested? I mean, Peter is, he denies, he says to Jesus, look, I'll, I'll never leave you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me tonight. And then three times Peter denied Jesus. Paul and Peter, Absalom, David, they are these examples that, that the spirit is willing, but often the flesh is weak. And folks, we've got to recognize that there are times we are confused. Absalom is confused. And this is why we need the Lord in our lives. We need to turn to the Lord. And, and, and this is what Paul is revealing. This is what Absalom shows us. This is what David shows us. This Romans 7 reality, this, this idea that, that I'm naturally sinful. We are this way. We're naturally sinful. And we live in this world that says, oh, no, you're all right. We're not Okay. We're naturally sinful, Romans 7, 18. For I know that the good, that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Within our flesh, there is no good thing that comes out. And this is the reality. And, and, and when I look deeply in my thoughts, and this is why I pray about our racism, because when I look deeply in my thoughts, in my heart, I see evidence of times that I am, I slip into racism, and we don't have time for this. Look, we've got to root this out. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, above all things beyond cure, who can understand it? And the reality is, Romans 7 is this truth for us that, that, that I'm at war with myself. And this is a truth for us. And, and we have to be a people that recognize the devastation of sin, that we are at war with our own fleshly desires, our own hearts. It says this in Romans 7, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And internally, I, I want God's way, and, and, but, but I have to admit that it's difficult for me to want what God wants. But, I, but I, it goes on, and it's just interesting. Romans 7, 24 talks about I'm wretched. That's a tough word, wretched. 
Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? That, that word wretched means to be physically and emotionally spent through hard labor. And, and this is what Paul meant. And, and this is sometimes what we feel like. I, I mean, Absalom and David, they're in, the, in, in their sin. They're, it's exhausting. And I don't know if you've experienced that, the exhausting reality of sin. That, that, I mean, and when you look at Paul, and Paul, Paul could say, basically, I've been to conferences, I've been, to, uh, I've been trained, but yet I struggle with sin. And, and I, I don't know if you're here, and maybe you're watching today, and you're out of control. It's time to admit it. It's time to recognize your need for the Lord. And look at Romans 7.25. It's such a cool ending to this, this section in Romans 7. He says, what does Paul say at the end of this, this, this really dark, bleak picture? What does he say? Verse, 7, 20, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. That with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, Paul, like David, he, he recognized that he's broken and he's facing the consequences of sin. Of sin. So, uh, Absalom, this tragedy of Absalom here, he's not broken over his sin. And we're going to see today, this week, and, and next week how it wrecks him. And I just want to stand in front of you today. And we've got to admit that, that sin wrecks the people of God. Now, it's, it's, we've we got to hear this. But, but, but there's something that happens in 2 Samuel 15 that I don't want us to miss. Because what, what David does, he does something different than Absalom. Absalom's, his worship is fake. But David does something and I want you to look at verse 30. David goes to the Lord. Look at this. Verse 30, but David went up. He, he leaves and he's fleeing from Absalom. And he's, it's a devastating time for the people of God. But, but in verse 30, David went up. And back in 2 Samuel 15, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, he says. Let's think about this. In spite of the darkness of the consequences of Dave, that David is experiencing, because he knows, Nathan told him, David, you're going to experience these difficult consequences. And David is in the midst of these consequences. And, and, and then it's even worse because Ahithophel joined Absalom. Now you remember Ahithophel. Well, I talked about him two weeks ago. Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 16, 23 was, was a, an advisor to both David and Absalom. And, and David said about Ahithophel, his words are like the words of God. You remember who Ahithophel is? Ahithophel is the father of Eliam. Eliam, you remember him? He's the father of Bathsheba. Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. And, and he's angry still. The consequences of David's sin. You, you can imagine Ahithophel going, you, you violated my granddaughter. And you killed her husband, David. And now he's this dark time. 
but, 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 but I want you to know, in the midst of this dark time, what did David do? It's what we need to do. David went to the Lord. He went to the Lord here. In the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of, his, of, his, of, of dealing with the consequences of his own life, his own choices, he went to the Lord. And can I expose one of Satan's, one of Satan's tactics here? One of Satan's greatest tactics in the lives of, of God's people is when God's people make a mistake and they fall and they stumble, you know what happens? Satan says, don't go to the Lord. Don't go to him. But, but we got to see in David that that's exactly where we go. Even when we fail, we run to the Lord. And, and, and this is why I pray we are a body that, that we lean into conviction of sin. You see, we, we live in a world that's like telling preachers, don't, te- don't preach on sin. Let's just be encouraging. And, and as I battle even this moment right here of like, maybe I ought to just preach a message that makes everybody feel better. But then I remember it, feel, it is better to deal with our sin, to, to, to bring our sin to the Lord. That's better. Even though it may not feel warm and fuzzy. Let me tell you something. When we take our sin to the Lord, that's a blessing. It's a blessing when we feel conviction of sin. When we are convicted in our own hearts, that is a blessing. Can I tell you, the, the, the scary thing is not when we feel conviction of sin. The scary thing is when you don't feel conviction of sin. Let me tell you something. If you, if you can just live in rebellion against the Lord, and you don't sense any conviction, be warned. Oh, be warned. Look into that. Let me tell you something, conviction of sin is a good thing. And what does David do? He, he, he leans into this, and, and he can't escape the consequences of sin. You know, years ago, I had a good friend that had a public failure. It's public. And it was on the news. And uh, I went to his house the day it broadcast. And it was on a Thursday, and on Saturday night, he calls me and said, do I go to church tomorrow? Because our whole church knew about it. And I said, yes, you should. You know what he did? He, he did. He came. And I watched the church, even though they saw the news, walk up, put their arms around him and say, we love you. And folks, that's what happens when you come to the Lord. God receives you. And so don't buy into this lie from Satan that, that when you feel conviction, you should move away from the Lord. No, that's when you come close to him. That's what David does. And, and, and this, look at what God provides. God provides. Um, he receives him. He helps him. And, and, and this is what God does. David, I'm going to help you. I'm going to keep my word to you. And we're going to see, and we see all through history, that God kept his word. And see, David comes in close to the Lord. And, and, and I want you to see this. Not only does God provide to David a relationship with him. because And I want you to recognize that when, even when we fail as believers, there's joy and there's hope and there's peace in that relationship with the Lord. 
But not only does God provide a relationship with himself, you know what else he provides? A relationship with other people. Look, look what happens. I mean, it's interesting because not only did God provide uh, a relationship with him, he, he provided help. Look, look at verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushiah the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. So we provide Hushaya. I, I think that's how you say it. I'm glad my mom named me Chris. But, but he also provide, provided Ataya from Gath and, and, and Zadok the, from the Levites who were carrying the ark. And here's what God does. Even when we are facing the consequences of our sin, God provides a relationship with him. God also provides people to help us. This is why we need the church. This is why we can't forsake meeting together. This is why we cannot stay online only. This is why we got to come around one another and know one another and be in one another's lives because in the midst of our, of our, our own personal struggles, God provides the relationship of you and me together and the people of God together. You see, this is why I want to expose this, this trap of Satan that John 10.10 10 is true. The thief comes but to steal and kill and to destroy. And what is one of the tactics of, of God's, in the attack against God's people? It's this, that even when we fail, God, Satan attacks us and pushes us to, to go away from the Lord and go away from the church. But what does God call us to do, even in the moments of failure and struggle? No, we need the Lord. We need his church. This is why we need to be, the, be a faithful church. This is why we need to be a faithful people, a forgiven, where we're a forgiven people. And, and this is the beauty of this verse. Now, as we end today, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up today. But as we end, I, there's something I want you to notice. I want you to look at verse 23, and, and I want you to see this in 2 Samuel 15, 23. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by, and the king crossed the, bo the brook of Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Now look at verse 30. Look down at verse 30. But David went up and ascended the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. And you know what? You can't come face to face with those places. The Brook of Kidron, the Mount of Olives, without thinking of another king that crossed the brook of Kidron, that went to the Mount of Olives. You remember when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray? But see, the thing that's different is this Jesus who entered human history, he wasn't a broken king like David. He wasn't one that was... Uh, that, that was broken. Now, now, he was a weeping king. But let me tell you, he wasn't weeping for his own sin. He was weeping for my sin and your sin. 
And see, Jesus, he, he understood that, that people were broken. He saw them like Matthew 9.36, our platform this year. He saw the crowds and what did he see? He, people like sheep without a shepherd. But he came. And, and when, he, when he came, he, 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 was, he didn't come to a, a kingdom. He didn't build a kingdom that was broken. He brought the kingdom here. The kingdom of God is, is here. And Jesus is moving and is working and is leading. And he's calling his people to walk with him and to, and to know him and to serve him, to love him. And it's my prayer. You recognize that this king who came weeping, he went to the cross as a substitute for you and for me. And he died and he rose from the grave. And, and because of that, we have this victory, this hope, this, uh, this reality that, that you and I can come into the presence of God in spite of our failures, in spite of our weaknesses. And this is good news. I mean, it's obvious to look around it. You can turn on the news and in 30 seconds recognize the brokenness in our world. And I want you to see the Savior that's come to restore us and to forgive us and to wash us whiter than snow. I want to ask you this question. What is keeping you from running into the arms of this Savior? Maybe you know the Lord. You know Christ as your Savior, and, and you know what it's like to be, to be forgiven. You've experienced the mercy of God. You, you have that relationship with God, but yet you find yourself rebelling against him. Oh, listen to this word today. This is the time to come back to Jesus, to walk with the Lord, to, to repent and to live close to the Lord. It's time to come back to his people. Maybe you've been out of church a long time. It's time to come back. What's keeping you from running to Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're lost. You don't know what it's like to be forgiven. You don't know the mercy of God. Oh, I wish so bad I could take my heart and put it in you for just a second so you would know the forgiveness and the peace that Christ brings and can bring to you. Oh, what's stopping you from running to Jesus? You know, there are people online that will help you. And, and if you'll reach out, look, um, we'll help you. That's why God put us in your life today. You know, this is our dirty laundry as a believer. This is a story that's our, it's honest. But I'll tell you what, in the midst of our brokenness, Christ has saved us. Let's act like it. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move us. I thank you for the, for the conviction of sin. And I pray that we would be a people that lean into that conviction. I thank you, Lord, for the relationship you give to us. I thank you for the people that come around to help us. Lord, we need you today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in spite of the barriers of, 
a digital platform today. We pray for next week as we come back together that we would be wise and faithful. Use us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.